In every age, God raises people up to speak the truth to the world in a way that is currently relevant. Though our opinions should not be held with the same esteem as the biblical canon, we still carry the hope of Christ to the world. Our society has forgotten what it means to follow Christ. The bright lights of truth seekers are barely visible in the dim twilight of a post-Judeo-Christian society. We all see the darkness coming. All we can hope is to share the light that he has entrusted to us. This is Modern Apocrypha. Jared. And I'm Greg. And this is Modern Apocrypha. Welcome. So. Indeed, there's been a lot of news, uh, tech news, uh, world news, a lot of news out for us to talk about today. Uh, a couple of, couple of really interesting things happening that I think are pretty key occurrences, shall we say. For sure. Yeah, cer certainly some, some wild flags to discuss for sure. Um, one of the uh, the topics I wanted to, to look at was the uh, the Tucker Carlson Alex Jones interview. There's uh, anytime Alex Jones is involved, there's plenty to discuss. Um, but then there's also uh, a new media, old media transition uh, that that's really uh, front and center from the uh, uh, the interview. I know that uh, listening through it, that Alex Jones did speak positively about Tucker taking over the uh, conservative media. And, and grabbing the torch, you know, running with the torch. Yeah. Very so, interesting. I know that the Alex Jones interview was one that was on your mind as well. Uh, what sort of thoughts, what sort of uh, topics did you see in that? Well, I think the first thing that comes to me is just who Alex Jones is and what his, uh, and who Tucker is and what their roles are. Because, you know, we talk about the dialectic and the chessboard all the time. And just as a refresher for anybody who isn't up on that, because this is going to play a big part in this conversation, the idea is that there are two different sides in this world that are both played by the enemy. If the world's a chessboard, the enemy's playing both the black side, like the World Economic Forum, and the light side. We discussed a lot of this, and I think it was episode four or something, where it's Gnosticism and the dialectic. And the idea is just that both of these sides are played by the same forces. They just look different, and the reason for that is that it draws humans into the fight. So, in the case of the Alex Jones-Tucker Carlson thing, this looks to me like it's... The timing is hugely coincidental and fortuitous because we're coming up on the 2024 election. And if I'm and we'll get to we'll get to a little more of the Trump thing later. But if I'm not mistaken, Trump's going to win this 2024 election. And in order to prepare the ground for that, there has to be some really interesting uh, shuffling and manipulation and whatever going on. And so I see this rehabilitation of Alex Jones in the major media through Tucker as a really, really interesting thing. Tucker is probably not, not controlled opposition in a 
what would you say, in a, in a classic sense. I don't think he aligns exactly with most power blocks. But one thing I would note that's really interesting about Tucker is since he got uh, removed from his cable news show, he, he went from being a big show to the biggest English language show in the world. I do know that his his ratings overtook Joe Rogan. That was one of the topics discussed. Yeah. It is certainly um, also sort of a, a an endorsement of a candidate without an endorsement because your direct endorsement might be detrimental. So he's got oh, a bit of a dog. Oh, you mean Tucker on Trump? Uh, Alex Jones on Trump. Hmm. Uh, he can he can dog whistle a support without uh, without a direct support, so that those people that hate him so wouldn't fault Trump for his support. Well, and and. I don't remember exactly what they said in the interview. Wasn't Alex Jones saying that he felt bad about supporting? Who was it? Did you watch it more recently? At one point in the interview, Alex Jones was saying that he felt bad because he had unwittingly been a tool of a the Antichrist. Yeah. yeah, the Antichrist type of way. Well, and I That's certainly and I wonder. Yeah, that... I wonder if Tucker and Alex Jones aren't both on the white side of the chessboard. Oh, I could certainly see that, yeah. And the idea there is just that if Alex Jones is sort of rehabilitated on the white side of the chessboard, if he is made palatable, because when you watch that Tucker interview, Alex Jones comes off as a very sympathetic, very, uh, oh, what would you say very acceptable figure. I can certainly see that. He's an odd character for me um, just every day, every time I've ever seen him, just because he, he has a face that looks exactly like an uncle. He's got a voice and a mannerism that is an uncle. Uh, he's, he's so many members of my family that I recognize him on a very familial level. Um, and so it's a little bit of a strange perspective for me to watch him. Uh, he is... A little bit more heavy in the conspiracy theory uh, than a lot of people that I know, but that doesn't mean that he's his conspiracy theories are outside the norm for me either. Well, and, and I, you know, what would I say? There are places where I have seen him be dishonest once or twice, but in general, he's just giving people information that is actually generally true most of what he has to say is actually true so that was one of the comments i wanted to bring up they there was a, a quip about why he thought that um he had been attacked and and um why he thought that he'd survived to this point mm -hmm. and uh he doesn't know as no one would but i think that one of the things that really uh works to his advantage in the way that he speaks is his actual um manner of speech one of the things that the elites can't seem to understand um and we've had a bit of a discussion in this with the way that um uh, artificial intelligence and automatic closed captioning works the way the computer understands he has a voice and a cadence that the computer does not understand so as we've had, I know this is a bit of a tangent. So as Alex Jones speaks in the in the way that he communicates, you need a human being there to watch him to decode what he meant. And so he's saved by his 
oh, his turn of phrase that is so outside the norm, right? He, he has interesting. He has layman's terms that the computer can't understand, so it requires a person to review his speech, which is why he's. It took so long to target him. Interesting. In my that's my opinion. He believes that he just threaded the needle, as it were, between being attacked and, and surviving. I think that he was not targeted so directly because people like Trump and Alex Jones speak in a way that the computer can't understand. Hmm. I don't know. I. I actually don't know that I necessarily agree, but that's a very, very interesting observation. Yeah, I, I watch a lot of uh, closed captioning. It's sure. uh, uh, something that I pay attention to. And here recently, um, there's been a, a really big shift. It used to be that you would kind of see the, the CCs pop up on the screen, the, the lettering as the person was typing, having heard the person speak. And now it's, it's in advance. It, it's predictive text that it's generating. And... Um, Elon Musk, um, Alex Jones, um, those people, Trump especially, um, either are not well understood or, or are intentionally mislabeled for what they mean. Like one word will be missed, you know, mm -hmm. one thing will be just enough off so that the meaning of the sentences they say are not the meaning of the words they say. Okay. So I see that all. I see that all over the place. Um, in a recent interview, uh, I believe it was uh, the New York Times, but it was certainly Elon Musk that was uh, the interviewee. And following through segment by segment, every segment was relayed um, in an anti-truth, an opposite of what the meaning was for someone that was just watching, say, in a, an airport, just watching the CC, unable to hear the words. Okay. So you've got animated characters on the screen and words saying what they said that don't match what they actually mean. Huh. Curious. One of the yeah, one of the uh, the Elon Musk uh, interview that that I, I pulled out very specifically was that he at the very end of the interview um, he was doing an interview with someone that was trying to give him every chance to uh, to show that he wasn't a crazy man, and <clears throat> he'd uh, oh gosh, what was the statement that he'd written? Like amplify goodness, amplify. Uh, uh, de-escalation and calmness and kindness and those sorts of things. And so those two words of amplifying uh, goodness, he put into Twitter, but on the CC, it had like block goodness. It, instead of amplify, it said block. It literally flipped the meaning mm -hmm. of what he'd said. Yeah, I get so what that, you're saying. So that if you were just uh, reading the interview, it ended on a crazy note instead of ending on the most homely possible, homey possible note. Yeah, I gotcha. And so with that, I think that that's been a big, big protection for Alex Jones, because on the one level, it's kind of easy to to disregard him as a, a religious nut because he does speak in religious terms. And a lot of people just don't know. How to, a lot of people just don't know how to take that. Um, he also will hold to his opinions when he knows it's right to the point of offending people. And once you've got someone offended, then the elites think that they've won and they can write you off. Yeah, of right? course. You, right? You're you're not uh, okay for public consumption. You're offensive. Right. You're well, we we wouldn't know anything about that. I mean, our relationship with the Overton window mostly just involves like, you know, laughing at its desiccated corpse as we pass it, or you know, we, we just don't. <laughs> 
it's not something that's ever been a part of our lives. I remember growing up, um, my dad had those giant uh, satellites. It was a big green satellite, so we could pick up satellite TV. And this was, oh, 82. This was early 80s. Sure. And um, you'd see the news would come through. Right? You'd see the news uh, would arrive to the news desk. They would see what it would be. They would read what it would be, right? like testing the words. And then they'd go on air. And never once, not one single time, did the copy match what they said. They never said the copy. So if you got the back end of the news before it was blocked, because nobody had a 20-foot tall uh, uh, satellite in their backyard for the most part, and when you got the, uh, the higher level or the secret level information about what they were doing, they were never telling the truth. And so I... That's one of the things that uh, Alex Jones speaks about is that he was a Ron Contra uh, uh, family. Right? He had CIA family members. He had military family members. And so even though he wasn't specifically trained in it, he was just naturally raised in a way that looks out for the conspiracy, looks out for that unusual, looks out for the, the pattern of what he was, a, you know, his family was a part of. Okay. And I and I feel like that was kind of the way that I was raised as well, to to keep an eye out for any any large organization to be, you know, of suspicion. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I certainly was. You know, when I was raised, it was a case of anything that, especially the government, but anybody does, needs to be viewed with suspicion and and you know sincere caution because they're probably doing something squirrely turns out it was underestimated i had no idea how squirrely or how bad it was yeah it's it's always been my entire life been quite something one of the things that uh, alex jones has brought up and i'm kind of curious where you where you stand on this was the idea that the torch has been passed or has mostly been passed he doesn't feel like he really has a a requirement to do it because he's not the only one doing it anymore. Do you feel that's true? Do you feel like you want to step into that space and be one of those people? Do you feel um, that that is becoming wrapped into the white, uh, the white and the black of the chessboard and everybody's filtering to their sides and not making a difference? What, what do you feel about that? You know, there are places in scripture where it says that God a because they were so depraved and screwed up that God abandoned them to their blindness or he gave them over to blindness. I think that is the case for 90-some percent of our society that they've been given over to blindness. And so what I want to be, what I want to be is someone who spreads the gospel, someone who shows people the light of Christ. And if, as part of that, I carry truth that most people aren't familiar with, that's fine. I don't mind doing that. But I don't think that most people can hear me. I don't think most people have the clear vision to see the truth, even if it's placed right in front of them. And that, so, and so most of what we say on this podcast is probably never going to hit the, the general airwaves because people just won't be able to see it. The, it, it. It'd be like going in one ear and out the other. They just won't hear it. So would I happily speak the truth as I see it to anyone who would listen? Absolutely. The most important truth 
is that Jesus Christ bodily rose from the dead. God raised him from the dead, and through him we can have eternal life. Through him we can be saved from this insane hell pit that earth currently is and will not be forever. That, that's, that's the truth that I want to tell people. But, you know, are there other truths that I think are cool and interesting, like the whole dialectic thing that most people don't see, that there are two sides that are both being played by the same uh, powers, you know? Sure, I would love to share those things. I think that they're interesting and useful and good, but I really don't think that most of that's going to get out there because I don't. I think that that is like the enemy's primary weapon, and so anytime somebody is pushing that narrative, it's going to make the major players they come in contact with really uncomfortable. <laughs> It's an interesting perspective. I would say that as I've uh, had a lot of conversations, you know, uh, through marketing and, and just trying to, to work through uh, book sales and whatnot, um, it's not quite as good as I thought it might be. It is worse than I thought it might be. But a lot of people will accept common truths. They'll they'll accept the 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 basis of what you say, the structures upon which you you lay your your arguments. But then they have a, a Darwinian block, and they just can't lay it at the feet of God. They can accept truth, but not give it to God. Well, and, and there are certain truths that they can't accept. And that takes us to, actually, that I'm going to pull a little bit on the other interview that we wanted to talk about, the one with Tim Poole and Donnie Darkened and Sovereign Braun. In that interview, we were talking about Tim Poole being really uncomfortable. And if you notice some of the places he was really uncomfortable was it was when they started talking about the dialectic and they didn't call it that to the degree that I do probably, but I do think they actually brought that up by name, which is kind of cool, kind of amazing, but sure. They made Tim pool super, super uncomfortable. And it is something of note. People should realize in a, in a uh, spreading truth manner that, um, and I'm not suggesting temple, right? But just people. There was at some point a uh, a program by our CIA that was um, set up in order to control information, to provide false information, to provide true information, but to be those pushers and pullers. They they planted they planted false um, UFO stories. They uh, planted all sorts of stories all over the place. They planted all kinds of things and and there were the you you can go online and find interviews with people who are former cia who give you the extent of it it's pretty insane how far it went so with that in the uh, trump era and even really to some extent i feel like um pre-trump there was a push away from sending someone overseas into dangerous areas where they might be shot. And it became much more of a um, individual working of their own accord for the government in accord with the government, but kind of on their own. And they would just set up a YouTube channel, right? Obviously Trump was not working with his CIA. He was not working with his departments. And so whatever, pre-existing inertia that people felt like was the right thing to do 
proceeded on that path. So we have now someone like Tim Pool that maybe Tim Pool is one or isn't, right? Someone that might have been an NSA or a CIA uh, paid member. It's NASA, now, an, yeah. right? And that is now a friendly member, that, but is not uh, under the payroll. And that's entirely possible for someone like Tim Pool. I do see him as someone who could be a government um, a friendly. Sure. <coughs> moving, back to, moving back to Alex Jones and Tucker, though, the idea to me that they represent the, what would you call it, the narrative of the white side of the chessboard seems really, really clear. It may not be, what would I say, Tucker Carlson is, for better or worse, just coming to the fact that the WEF have pulled the wool over his eyes and everybody's eyes, that the the left and the the dark side of the chessboard exist and what they're doing is totally insane and outlandish and they're succeeding he's just supposedly just waking up to this or is just waking up to this it's hard to tell alex jones has been awake to it for a very long time and has been telling people about it for a very long time i mean that's all that's all pretty obvious so it looks to me like they pretty well embody the narrative of the white side of the chessboard, which is sort of, and, and the way the enemy works, as we know from the whole Gnosticism model, is they reveal hidden knowledge to people at the appropriate time to get the response they want. And in this case, the hidden knowledge is knowledge that was not really hidden, but it, it certainly wasn't in the Overton window. It wasn't acceptable to talk about these things 20 years ago. They were just like Alex Jones was the crazy, the only crazy guy who talked about him 20 years ago, right? So now it's not so crazy. They're revealing this hidden knowledge to the world, bringing the world slowly around to the white side of the chessboard's perspective. It's an interesting. I would say that I would. I noticed as Tucker Carlson was being ejected from Fox, um, and part of the reason I feel like he was was his um, uh, acceptance of Christ. He he really did start speaking in biblical terms, using God and um, good and evil, and being in, unable to tolerate um, the the falsehood and the evil. Right. So he, it's like he had a. Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Where the the country revival? It's like he had a personal revival, and that's totally possible. You know, I I actually think that on the white side of the chessboard, some of the enemy's most effective and most useful tools are people who genuinely have a heart for God, and and have been manipulated into a position that is totally untenable. And Tucker's actually a really great example of that. If you look at his background, if you look at how he came up, you know, where he grew up, how his life has gone, the circles he lived in, the worldview he has, all of the stuff about Tucker sort of points to, to me, to him being an eminently perfect tool for the white side of the chessboard because he does have... He, he genuinely is a decent human being who actually wants to see good things happen and real Christian people listen to him. But the background he grew up in and the, the things that he has been exposed to suggest to me that 
he is still in a position where he's pretty manipulable because he really isn't willing to see things on the spiritual level that's required to actually lay things out completely. Instead, he's still he's still bound to a perspective that is of this earth. And I don't necessarily think that that would even be something that Christ would reject him for. You know what I'm saying? It's like we're all guilty of that at some level. But I do think that it makes him a perfect tool. He isn't talking about the dialectic, is he? I think that uh, he's skirting the edges because he realizes the high low, high um, threshold, or rather low threshold, for assassination. I, I think that he sees um, well, and, his, and... his speech patterns are such that he is picked up by the computer. That he is um, and immediately... To support your point, and there is still an Overton window that most of the country is is very much and most of society is very much under the operation of and what you understand what i mean by overton window right i do i do so there if he were to start saying the wrong things he would he would take a few thousand people with him but he wouldn't take a few million it would be he would start being dismissed and he has made a business he has made a career a profession of understanding the Overton window and how he can act within it. So I think there's that portion of it too. But at the same time, he does sit with someone like Alex Jones and say the words, there's nothing that you're saying that I can find fault at. This is nothing here seems like a lie. Nothing seems false. So you're not saying directly that I agree with you and that is true, but you're saying I can find no falsehood, which is almost as good. Right. And, and what I'm saying is, that a lot of the blindness that people operate under isn't isn't created by God. It's created by the enemy. And when the time comes to lift that curtain, then the enemy lets that falsehood drop away and lets people see whatever truth it suits the enemy for them to see. And so in this case, I suspect that what we're seeing, and, and this will... This will be borne out or not over the next six months to a year before the election in 2024, right? We'll see whether I'm right or not. But what I suspect we're going to see is that a big chunk of the right, the the right wing in America, is going to wake up to what's going on on the black side of the chessboard more than ever before. And that this is the enemy's first real move in making that happen. It's an interesting place for sure. I think, I don't know, are we at a, a break point here? Mm, getting close. You want to take getting a break through. now? I want to uh, consolidate thoughts and try to get back to um, uh, one of the uh, Alex Jones, Tucker Carlson um, bullet points but i need to look it up to get to it so yeah let's do a quick sure. break all right let's we'll take right a quick back. break then all right we'll be back in a minute back in a minute Modern Apocrypha is brought to you by Bright Star the forthcoming book by me Jared Michaud due to hit shelves April of 2024. For pre-release copies, head over to e6universe.com 
Use the promo code ISRAEL for 10% off with your order. Modern Apocrypha is made possible by North Arrow Coffee. It's the pro-life coffee company where 15% of every sale goes to a pro-life cause. And it's so good that even us non-coffee drinkers love the company. Everybody I know who I have uh, given North Arrow Coffee to who is a coffee drinker loves it. So the quality of the product is wonderful and they're not a company that hates you. So if you're interested, head over to northarrowcoffee.co and use the promo code E6 for 10% off with your order. And we're back. Welcome back, everyone. So, so yeah, just looking over the uh, bullet point that I had for the uh, Alex Jones uh, interview, yeah. it really did just really scream to me of a, a passing of the torch or a consolidation of the base. The, the point of it seemed to be much more of a uh, fight against what seems to be a black side of the chessboard push to throw as many people at the election as possible to disperse uh, voting polls. Okay. That, that seemed like their big push. So then there's the other point that we kind of brought up during the break that I'm like, no, we need to talk about this on the show. And that sure. was the idea that one way or another, it looks like if this is sort of a push by the white side of the chessboard to bring Trump back in 2024 to or to to bring the the narrative on the right to a point where Trump could come back in 2024, then this could either be an, the start of getting him reelected, or it could be the beginning of getting him in a position to start the actual militancy of the white side against the black side of the chessboard, right? Where the I white see... side wins. Right, I could see where where a uh, Republican landslide results in a Democrat uh, president and that causing just a, a head butting against the wall that people just uh, haven't seen. <laughs> well, and they're like, OK, we've had enough. We're going to make we're going to make this change no matter what. And I could totally see that happening. That isn't outside the realm of possibility. God knows it's. It came close enough last time to actually turning into something uh, militant that it wouldn't it wouldn't be shocking if it was set up to be more so this time. And then that kind of gets us toward the Tim Pool and uh, the other interview. Are you are you done with Alex Jones? We did there. I think so. So the other interview we wanted to talk about was Tim Pool and Donnie Darkened and Sovereign Bra and. I was actually pleasantly surprised by how how on point Sovereign Bra especially was in what they were talking about. What Donnie Darkened had to say about Trump being the Antichrist was very interesting. Some of it I had never come in contact with before. And what, what were the topics that, just so anybody listening that didn't get that interview, what, uh, what were the topics that were really built bullet points for it? Well, you know, I'm not remembering real well. That's part of the problem, but... 
parts parts of it included his name, Donald Trump being uh, the herald of the ruler of the world, uh, Trump being a small trumpet, and Donald being ruler of the world as far as name meanings go. Um, that, those were minor points, yeah. Minor points, minor points. His his uh, face being on a particular coin um, struck me as. Do you understand what the significance of that coin is? That was the most significant part of the interview. And let's describe this coin. This coin, to me, um, I did a little bit of research, and it was kind of interesting. Um, uh, in this uh, podcast with Tim Pool, they had a, a sort of a brass coin, a, a typical coin, but I've, I've seen it as a silver dollar sort of silver coins and uh, mm-hmm. semi-numismatic uh, sort of concept. Yeah. And um, in its design, it's got a Zionist logo. It's got an Israeli government logo, and that's on the two left and right sides. On the bottom middle, it's got the face of Sargon of Akkad, I believe, and then Donald Trump. Who's the first person? There's an old Persian leader, old... No, no, this... <laughs> no, no. You're thinking of um, Cyrus. Cyrus. So the, but they do have um, an old leader with Trump's face directly imposed above it. Sargon of Akkad is, 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 yeah, that one threw me. No, it wasn't, that wasn't who. You, you're talking Cyrus. It Cyrus. was, yeah. Cyrus, Cyrus the Persian, yes, King Cyrus. And then the other one is Donald Trump. And that that coin allows entry into the third temple once it's built. Also quite interesting in the... Um... The silver, I, I didn't see anything specifically on the gold, but the silver should be something like four grams or 40 grams, or what is it? For a typical weight, it should be 40 or four. Yeah, four. It should be four grams. I was going to say 40 is awful heavy. Yeah, four, four, four grams. And the, the coins that they are shipping out are only three and a half. <laughs> Uh, not not to be anything more than a pure joke, because you know that I'm I'm uh, pro-Israeli in, in any way I possibly can be, but to, to think that they're Joe and people on the well, uh, weights. <laughs> well, pro-Israeli, that's that's a bit of a, that's not actually true. You are for the people of God, the Jews. But that's when right. it comes to the government of Israel, that's a bit of a different animal. And, and some of what they do... Yeah, sure. And some of what they do, not so much. And yeah. Yeah. On, on a uh, political level, I do have a, a huge amount of respect for Israel and what they do. Oh, but, sure, sure. Well, they're a, living they're living surrounded by enemies. I mean. Thriving. Yeah. Thriving, then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is an amazing story, for sure. So this coin, <clears throat> this coin is blasphemous in, in its design. It's because of the... Um, I would say that it claims a, um, a lineage. I could see that to Trump that is not asked for. Okay, it doesn't necessarily claim a lineage to Trump because Cyrus is on there. Cyrus didn't have a Jewish lineage. He was simply on there because he gave the aid necessary to rebuild the temple, and. Trump is on there for a similar reason. The, the The lineage is a totally separate question, and that doesn't have anything to do with the coin. Correct, correct. They, they are doing some lineal um, testing to see if they can get provide some lineage for, for Trump. Well, they're, they're that's looking, something. that's another, that was another one of the key points, is they're looking to see if they can trace Trump's lineage to King David. Which... 
that is an unusual uh, task to take on. Um, one wonders what usefulness there is in that, you know. Well, the the idea here, and and the whole point of this interview and what Donnie Darkin was on there for, was to try to or to make the point that Trump is being set up to take the role of the Jewish Messiah. To be accepted by the Jews as their Messiah in the modern age. Because remember, the Jews don't see Jesus as having fulfilled the role of Messiah. They rejected him. So that that seat, that spot, that whatever is still open in their mind and and it needs that prophecy needs to be fulfilled and the idea would be the way they've always seen it and why Jesus was such a shock is because they've always seen the Messiah as a secular power figure someone who will take the Jews to the status of empire who will rule the world from Israel <coughs> excuse me <coughs> Is this is this a standardized Jewish uh, precept in your opinion, or is this more of a Zionist Jewish precept? No, that's that was what they thought Jesus was going to be back in his own day. That's what they that's what they thought the Messiah was to be even back then. And there are passages in the Bible in the Old Testament that point in the direction of the Messiah doing exactly that, but as we understand it as Christians, that's to follow his second coming. That's to follow him coming back to earth and ruling the nations with an iron rod, as I believe it's Revelation says. So, yes, there is that is there, and yes, it is to happen, and they thought that that's all it was to be. So having a counterfeit Messiah would fit perfectly with the idea of the Antichrist from a Christian perspective. And I, I don't like to put too much weight on the idea of an Antichrist because there are so many people who make him the central figure of the story of the end times when the reality is that doesn't seem quite right to me. Yes, there will be a man of sin. Yes, there will be that figure. But it seems to me like people put way too much, uh, way too much import on him instead of looking at the situation as a whole, and a lot of that actually comes from the Catholic Church because the Catholic Church is an antichrist. Okay, antichrist is just something that is comes in that is other than Christ that takes the place of Christ, and. The Pope, his title is the Vicar of Christ. He is the representative of Christ on earth. Christ never said he was to have a representative. He is the priest king. He is the one true mediator between man and God. And so when you see other people who are impinging on that, you can say that is an antichrist. That is something that is other than Christ. And so what we're looking at here is a possible setup for Donald Trump to be seen as the Jewish Messiah, someone, an, an Antichrist, someone other than Christ, coming onto the stage. 
And I would push back that Antichrist, as my understanding of it, would be as similar to Jordan Peterson's anti-truth. It's not just different than. It's in opposition in every way. No. And I'm, I'm speaking with some assurance on this subject because when you, when you study the scriptures and you look at what Paul in specific says about the Antichrist, because he's the one who talks, who uses, <coughs> excuse me, he, he uses that word more than anybody else. The way he uses it is as someone who would take the place of Christ. Now, if it is someone other than Christ who is taking the place of Christ, that is necessarily going to come into opposition with Christ. No question. So in a sense, you're right. But it doesn't necessarily mean someone who is intentionally directly opposed to Christ. It could be just someone who sets himself up as a pretender who has, you know, some kind of virtuous intent and winds up being opposed to Christ because you can't take Christ's place without opposing him. But to say, and and the, the popular conception of the Antichrist is exactly what you said, someone who is set up to be directly opposed to him in every way. But actually there's, there's a flavor there of the lie as well because... Because the, the lie the enemy sets up to take the place of Christ can't look evil and still fool even the elect if possible. And that's what Jesus said in Matthew 24, 24. I actually looked it up today. He said that many will come pretending to be messiahs and they, they would fool even the elect if possible. And the idea there is that that you can't have someone who is a mass murderer who people see as a moral figure the the i mean you can in some situations but you can't have the whole world believing that about like Klaus Schwab from the WEF he's a comic book supervillain he's not an antichrist because he doesn't fit the mold well enough he he isn't a good enough counterfeit where an antichrist has to be a counterfeit of Christ to get people to believe wrongly. That is certainly um, denoted. It is interesting in their conversation as they um, kind of meandered through their hour, hour and a half of talking about it, that they, they kind of landed on the possibility of a Trump antichrist. And they also kind of landed on the possibility of a Elon Musk antichrist. Um, and they okay. kind of played around you with it with, you understand the difference between the beast and the false prophet, right? Mm -hmm. Meaning, I do. Meaning, people call, usually they call the beast the Antichrist, and the false prophet is the one who points to the Antichrist. And the false prophet institutes the communication systems and control systems for the Antichrist, but the Antichrist is the is the primary figure the way people see it well and with that as they they progressed it um it did come up and i think that i'm slightly more on the uh, the opinion that the uh, the end enemy is something more like a robot like a uh, you know a non-human entity 
Well, you know, that's that's essentially already spoken in Revelation is that there are to be there are to be four different major figures there. You've got the the dragon, you've got the first beast, you've got the second beast or no I'm I'm mixing this up but you the idea is you have a beast a false prophet and then an image of the beast which is set up to um cause the world to worship the beast and that image of the beast is given breath and it it seems it has seemed to me for a long time that that likely is an AI so yes and in your in your metaphorical understanding or or symbolic understanding of it, is it breathing life like breath, or is it allowing speech? It is the 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 term the Bible uses is given breath, as in given life, which does not. It is an an image, meaning it is a it is a made thing that is given life. And the closest thing we have to that in the modern world is AI. So would I be surprised to see it? Not even a little bit. I suppose exactly I wouldn't be... How that, exactly how that works, though, on a, on a metaphysical level. How would we know, man? You know, whether it's an inhabitant, you know, being inhabited by an evil spirit or whether it's actually given its own life or what it is, is really hard to say. And I'm not... I'm not qualified to even speculate. Well, I can speculate, but you get the idea. Sure. Oh, other interesting topics from their podcast that struck me. Um, I'd love to have a, a more of a discussion and more of a, a bullet point of uh, types of eschatology, how they're broken down. And, and you know, they, they, they um, had, I think, three or four uh, types that they listed out. But uh, sure, just and I can go time. over them real fast if you'd like. That would certainly be one to look at, and then I, I have to bring up the uh, birth control chip and its and its uh, patent number that randomly spat out of the out of the system. Did you see that? The o six o six o six birth con or yeah the well it's patent number. it isn't patent just number. birth control it's um, bodily control. Well, it's 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 a device that is that does have birth control in it but it, it it does a little more than that as well and i don't remember exactly what all it was but it patent number is 060606 now that's interesting and it's the thing that I, that keeps catching my eye when it comes to that particular concept the 666 concept is that is what it says about that it says it's the name of a man and the number of his name or something like that. And so I don't know. I honestly don't know exactly what that means as yet. I haven't seen anything that I think fits that perfectly. So I'm reserving judgment on that score. I think conceptually I see how the concept of, I mean, we've talked about this with the Bitcoin and I think that was like podcast number five. We talked about this with Bitcoin, how you could have a situation where you could put the control of the economic system in an AI's hands feasibly in the near future. That's that's possible. But that's one of the things that I've actually argued would be a positive because there's always going to be crooks. There's always going to be people trying to break in. And if the thing is alive and fighting against uh, fighting for itself to protect itself, it's going to be the most secure thing. That, that was my argument. Yeah, and I think that's terrible. 
I think that's oh, I think it's terrible. No, no, I think what you're saying, <laughs> I think your argument is terrible, but but that's a subject for another time. Do you want to talk about the whole uh, eschatology thing real quick, or you want to? I do, I do. Let me just uh, as a as yeah. a quip throw out there. Um, I was talking to a young woman who is uh, pro-choice. She's she's fairly on board with the uh, pro-choice um, angle, and when mentioning patents 060606, she did not think, oh, wow, I can just choose an app on my phone and, and decide whether I want to have a child. She said, oh, no, they're going to make it so that you have to do something, get a you know, social check mark, get to make enough money, be able to do something in order to turn it on, or you won't be able to have kids. And immediately, without a second thought. Well, this is not a, a choice for me. This is a choice for someone else to put upon me. No, that's absolutely correct. I was amazed that it got, that came to her mind. Well, you know, it's interesting. One of the things that Jesus said about his disciples was that the things that have been hidden from the most learned are revealed to those who are simple and of no, you know, of no particular consequence. Don't, am I surprised? Not, not terribly, you know. When something isn't specifically to be hidden from the people humans are actually relatively good at seeing truths unless there's a good reason for them not to. I can, it, it seems to be that way. It, it, the oddly hidden things throughout my life, the, the uh, become people becoming more woke or awake um, and realizing the things that someone like you, me or Alex Jones have grown up seeing our entire lives. And, and yeah. we see that, people notice it as well. So I, I suppose that that is true that it's odd that people just don't look. It's there to see, but they just don't look. Yeah. Well, and it's not just odd. It's like I say, God gives people over to blindness. And that blindness is used by the enemy for his own purposes to, to create a worldview that brings people to where that enemy wants them to be. It isn't just odd. Mm. It's intentional. Yeah. Oh, more than two coincidences is not a coincidence. Yep. Okay, so... So es eschatology, um, is the study of the Old Testament, or is it every religion's study of the end times? Um, the word eschatology, to my understanding, is specifically used in regard to the study of the biblical description of the end times. It, I, I suppose it could be properly used for other religions, but I don't actually know the answer to that question. It may or, that may or may not be appropriate. Um, I know that, that generally it is, when I've heard it used, because this has been a Christian society for so long, that that is the way it's applied. And, and the eschatologies that I know anything about are all the Christian ones. And I do know something. I can put a, I can put a name on them and put them in the places where they go, right? Okay. Okay. So, that was what uh, they discussed in the in the podcast with Tim Pool that I thought they did not spend enough time on for anyone listening to be able to. You're right. Uh, they really right, I think didn't. That's an, so it's a really great point. It's a, a great topic. So let's take a second and define them and then discuss it. Okay. So let's see the three main the three main um, delineations are premillennial, postmillennial, and amillennial. Okay, and the amillennial one is a little hard to define because they they think that 
that eschatology is all symbolic. They don't think it's an actual description of real events. And let's take a moment to define this. So eschatology is the study of the old times through the lens Not of the times, Bible. Not old times, end times. The, the times at the end of the age. Sure. As described in the um, the Bible, in mm -hmm. Revelations. So yep. it is a study of Revelations. Well, not just um, Revelation. There are many places. There's Ezekiel. There's Matthew. There's There are lots of places in the Bible. Revelation is the one that, that is most common to us. But there are lots of places that tie into a study of the end times. Daniel 7 is a great one, too. Absolutely. And so the premillennial, postmillennial, amillennial are looking at the... Um, the promise of a thousand year rule of Jesus as the millennial uh, section, mm -hmm. right? So pre-millennial, post-millennial, amillennial is pre-Jesus reign, post-Jesus reign, ah, Jesus reign. That's the idea. Yeah. The idea okay. here is that in, in let's, let's look at the post-millennial one, because that's the easiest one to sort of put a box around right now. Post-millennial, it usually takes the view that, most of the prophecy in the Bible happened around 70 AD and it's already done. And the Bible doesn't have a lot to say about what's going on today in terms of prophecy. That's the post-millennial view. Okay. And, and there is some, in my opinion, my opinion on this is that there is some value and validity in in the way they look at things, because some of what happened in 70 AD did, did appear to fulfill some of that prophecy, not all of it, not perfectly. And the reason for that is because the it, it, it has to do with how seriously you take the language of the Bible. If you take it to actually mean what it says, then it did, you did not have everyone on earth being not allowed to buy and sell unless they had a particular mark on their left hand or forehead in 70 AD. That was not the way it was. The, the language in Revelation is pretty extreme. It's all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave. Everyone is required to have this mark in order to buy and sell. And that's a pretty, that's a pretty extreme circumstance. So you didn't have that happen in 70 AD. There were a lot of other things where if you take the language of scripture seriously, you can see sort of, you know how it, there are people, they talk about the, the type of Christ, how there are these sort of pictures of Christ throughout the Bible that, that are fulfilled in the person of Jesus. There are pictures of him. There are, there are people that represent him, people that are like him, people that do similar things. And it all kind of points back to him. Okay. It looks to me like what happened in 70 AD points forward to something else that has yet to happen. But the post-millennial view is that it has already happened and that Jesus is currently reigning with an iron rod, ruling the nations with an iron rod. And, you know... There's a joke that, that says that the best way to make Christians angry at each other is to, to get people who believe different things about eschatology in the same room. And there's some truth in that. Where I personally come down is that if you believe Jesus is ruling the nations with an iron rod right now, you got a problem because I can't take it seriously that he would let a bunch of pedophiles rule us if he had direct responsibility for it. I, I just don't see it. 
that's post millennial. I see. And so just looking at the definitions and then I'll go into uh, a bit of uh, personal belief. Sure. So, so well, do you want to of... go to all, all millennial real quick and then pre or what do you, what do you, how are you wanting to, to do this? Well, one of the things that we're skipping because we're Christians and we live in this stuff all the time mm-hmm. is that for someone that has not uh, read the Bible, that doesn't have the, um, a reason why you'd want to come before, after, or during, why is it scary? Why is it um, something that does cause such distress for people? Is that um, prior to the millennial reign are the tribulations. Um, there's a fair amount of pain and suffering that is described that exists for human beings on the planet greater than has ever happened in history or will ever happen again is what and so it's it's extremely tempting to think that you won't suffer the suffering that you'll be uh, uh, absolved or or exempt from that suffering because of your actions well that's the idea and there's a pre-millennial branch that goes there too but the post-millennials here, here's here's one thing that I actually have to say about the post-millennial view that's very complimentary, and that is that they take seriously the responsibility to build a to build Christ's kingdom in this world. And I think they go about it wrong sometimes. I think that our great commission was to make disciples of the nations, but they seem to take that a lot more seriously than some of the people in the other eschatology camps. And that I. I am all for that. I am 100% there because that is the command we were given. We were told to make disciples of the nations. That's what we need to be doing. Okay. thousand percent. Yeah, there's a, that's an easy enough um, uh, task to take on. I think that it's something that everybody should be taking on just in their daily action. Not. I know, absolutely yeah. agree. And it's one of the things that it's, I'm totally complimentary about. I think that that's important and that that, that is a good thing. And then, so what is amillennial? Amillennial is a is a real slippery one, and basically, what it does is it reduces the anything biblical to do with Jesus reigning physically on Earth to something that is metaphorical or symbolic instead of real. And so, saying that, yeah, saying something along the concept that uh, a Jesus return would be a change in, in perspective, a change in, in our hearts, not a physical human being walking around that we call yeah. Jesus. Or or we don't, that, that he's reigning from heaven and not here and that we, the church, are to be and, or something like that. And and the reality is, in my mind, where that falls is simply not taking scripture seriously. You don't take it seriously if you don't think that it means what it says. It's interesting. Um, I do have a personal, um, I guess it's, it's an opinion um, as to how to view revelations, um, specifically revelations in eschatology. Uh, and I don't believe that the uh, human being to return will be named Jesus. His name will be written on his thigh and uh, on, you know, he'll have a new name written. He won't have the name of Jesus. Well, you realize Jesus was never actually the name he would have been called by at the time anyway. It would have been Yehoshua, something like that. But reality is, we as human beings using different languages are going to end up sort of butchering it butchering that anyway so it really 
the idea is if he is real and he is God, he knows we're talking to him. We can use what name we need to use and he'll know we're talking to him. Sure. Uh, one of the things that strikes me, um, and I could be completely off my off base whenever I, I think this, but one of the things that tends to be true for biblical prophecy and specifically biblical prophecy is that the time frames, the time frames do not line up. So a day is a year, a year is 365 years because each day is a year. Right? Those, those sorts of it things can, are. It can be very confusing and hard to nail down. Absolutely. And I also feel like if you read line by line and expect that line to stand on its own and with every line around it in a perfect way, the way that only the Bible can do, there are portions that as you go through um, feel to me like they are a process of time. And then it cuts and says, from this point, no one knew. Right. There's yeah. there's a particular uh, section in, in Revelations that says that yeah. no man would know, but then it continues speaking. So it's not as if we wouldn't figure it out in the middle of the tribulation. Sure. It also it also would um, lend itself to thinking or, or uh, showing that uh, the tribulation that does happen um, is like a, a, a frog in a, a bo- uh, in boiling water, not a, fr- a frog on a hot pan where nobody stops what they're doing. Nobody sees the immediate rush yeah. of what's happening because it's a little slower than yep. is the immediate words. And I personally feel like a lot of the um, tribulations, a lot of the uh, uh, troubles that will happen, not all of them, but some of them have been expressed over time since 70 AD. So well, and, I believe that there are, there are portions of that that can be true. It's like Jesus said, there will be wars and rumors of wars and disease and rumors of disease and all of these things, you know, there's going to be a lot of this stuff happening before this time comes about. And then he talks about what exactly is to happen when the time comes about. And there are different ways to sort of read that whole thing. But um, do you want me to hit the last one? Yeah, yeah. Premillennial. Okay, so there are two varieties of premillennial, and one of them looks to me like a red herring, but there are more people who believe it than believe the other in pop culture. And I think that's intentional. I think that's the enemy at work. So historical premillennialism is the idea that we have yet to see the tribulation, that it is still to come, and that... Um, basically that it'll, it'll happen sort of as the Bible says it'll happen when it comes about. Then there's dispensational premillennialism, which, which is a variety of that, that was sort of popularized early in the 20th century, back in the early 1900s. And it was, it has a heavy Zionist influence. So the idea is that the people who are dispensational premillennials love everything that Israel does and can do, and they want to bring the tribulation about as fast as possible because they believe that they're going to get pulled out before it ever happens. The rapture. I see. And, you know, there is... let's, Let's parse this down a little bit. It looks to me, in reading the scripture, and I actually did some study on this in the not too distant past to see what I thought, because... 
I have seen these views expressed and I didn't know where, where to go. So I looked at it and I, I would encourage anybody who's watching this, who is curious about it to do your own research. Don't believe what I say. Don't, you know, don't take my word for it. Actually look into it yourself. But what I came up with is something like this. There are a couple of different events. You have the tribulation. At some point in this, you have Jesus return for his body, for his church, for his bride. And then at a different point, you have him return with his bride, right? So the dispensational view is that before the tribulation happens, Jesus shows up, pulls the church out, the tribulation happens, then he returns after the tribulation with us. So we don't have to be part of all the scary bad stuff that happens. But that kind of ignores some pretty serious indications and it ignores everything that has ever happened in history before and it, i feel like personally that it ignores god's word god says that if you would die by the sword you will die by the sword if you right all of it, you there's nothing called it man you i think you're right i think that what it's basically i think the way it probably goes down and well and then there's the you remember the um the parable of the virgins who Run some run out of oil and others don't. I don't not not from that description. Ooh, okay. So Jesus in one of his parables talks about a bridegroom who is going to come back for his come for his bride, and the the virgins are waiting up for him, and some of them brought plenty of oil for their lamps, and others didn't, and some of the lamps go out and they're like, well, we can, can we borrow some of your oil? And the others are like, we don't have enough for both of us. You're going to have to go get your own oil. And the bridegroom comes back while they're off getting their own oil and they're rejected. And the symbolism here, but the bride, and what it says is the bridegroom tarried on his way. He, he took his time, took his time. He, he didn't show up when he was supposed to show up. They thought, and so the idea is, this is a perfect parable for Christ's return. The bridegroom is Christ. He didn't come back when everybody thought he would. Some people who are waiting for him run out of oil. They run out of uh, conviction. They run out of, they run dry on their um, faith. And mm -hmm. others don't. And it looks to me like this dispensational premillennial thing is a direct attempt by the enemy to get people to run out of oil while they're waiting for Christ. Because as you said, those who are to die by the sword, die by the sword. Those who are to go to the, yeah, to, that all the things that are to happen. And then it talks about people whose robes have been washed white in the tribulation, which says to me, we're going to be here till nearly the end of this thing. Jesus shows up for his church. God pours out his wrath on the earth briefly, and then Jesus returns with his church. I think we're looking at probably mid-trib to very end-of-trib rapture. It will happen. There is hard scriptural indication that it is going to happen but the idea is probably that it isn't going to happen until near the near the end something else that uh, strikes me as a uh, an unusual way to think about the rapture 
As far as I know, only Enoch was the unslain. Everyone must die and then be reborn. So even the raptured will die. No. Yes, no? No. This is the one this is the one instance where there is scriptural indication that those people who are taken up to be with Christ will be um in the blink of an eye will be transmuted to be like him. So the idea is that that if you last that long, you don't have to die. Personally, I almost think I'd rather die cuz that sounds like a pretty awful time but you know i'm here's here's the other thing though and and let me let me say this for viewers because i don't want people to be discouraged i think it's likely that we are to face this the tribulation sometime in the next few decades i don't think we're there today but i think it's coming and if that's the case this isn't something to be discouraged about. This isn't something to dread. This isn't like, oh, things have to be horrible. This is a case of... You remember in Revelation, it talks about those who conquered by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony and by not loving their life unto the death and how God is going to pour out His Spirit in those days on the people like essentially like never before and that where sin abounds grace abounds the more if this is true we get to live through the most amazing time in human history and god will bear us up he will carry us so this isn't something to be afraid of this is something to look forward to in that we have more opportunity to have an impact for christ in that time than ever in history from the time he came until now, and probably ever after that. So, you know, if, if people want to huddle, if people want to be afraid, I, I totally understand. I, I, I feel it too, but I choose not to do that. I choose, I choose faith. He'll carry us. Hmm. I certainly agree a thousand percent. Uh, there's nothing to specifically be worried about. Um, that if you look at the tribulations and and their description, um, and you allow for them to have happened over time, um, which I, I personally do, um, great earthquakes of, of immigration, great uh, failures of states falling, and millions and millions and millions of people dying. These things have happened. Right? We, we, these aren't. These aren't. Um, fairy tales these are daily news and they've been our history for as long as we've had histories well and, and you know there may be there may be a time when it is much more intense than ever before but we just don't know we just don't we, know we really don't have a, a an iron grasp on what the truth could be in this uh we don't see that i don't see the future um <laughs> yeah definitely definitely don't want to put uh, down anybody's uh gifts but at the same time i do feel like if i read the tribulations from the beginning of revelations to about two-thirds of the way through um prior to the great um prostitute being punished prior to that i feel like most of what i see written has 
happened at scale over time. We just see it everywhere. So it's not as if, uh, you know, you know it, it really depends on how you look at Revelation. When you actually look at the way it was written and the style of the literature, I think that that this is actually another whole podcast and I'm not that knowledgeable. I'd almost want to bring on somebody who knows way more about this than I do, because the idea here is that revelation is written in seven repetitious cycles that describe the same set of events in sort of a, a more and more um, intense rendition as you go on. So you're not, you're not, it's really hard for me at least to tell what's before and what's after and what's whatever, because if it's describing the same set of events, like seven different times throughout the book, then it's really hard to tell what goes where. And I don't feel like it says anything about them not happening, happening congruently. Does it, does it say that uh, there's a section in revelations where it's uh, describing tribulations as uh, cups being poured over the earth. Um, does it describe in that uh, concept of the uh, dis, uh, distribution of the tribulation as one tribulation and then it's done and then a second tribulation that's done or one and while one's still going on two can happen and while two's still going on three can happen i understand that they could overlap well they could and they probably do and i think it wouldn't surprise me when all of this comes out and we're standing next to Christ and we find out that it all happened over time, it also wouldn't surprise me for us to go through the most terrible period of human histories in history in seven years consecutively where all of it comes down at once. I could see either extreme being true. And just, just because, because we have so little grasp on that prophecy, the the purpose of prophecy is not to predict the future for you. It's to help you recognize a situation when you get there. And we're getting toward it. We're not there quite yet, but we can see the signs. We can see the season's here. The season's coming. We can see the, the events lining up, but we're not in the midst of it yet. And with that, anything you want to say before we call it? No, I think that's a great place to stop for the moment. Uh, thanks, everyone, for stopping by, and we'll see you again real soon.